Say welcome. Welcome. To. To. Say to. To. Accepting. Accepting. The. The. Unacceptable. Yeah, good job. What's your name? Remy. Remy. How old are you? Five. You're five. Say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Accepting the Unacceptable, a podcast for parents raising children with neurological differences. My five-year-old daughter, Remy, has autism and epilepsy. And while this hasn't been the easiest road, it's a road with more wonder and adventure than I could have ever imagined. I'm here to give you encouragement and share wisdom and stories to help you along in your own journey. Because let's face it, this parenting thing is not easy. I'm your host, Jody Warshawski, a wife, a mother of four, and a gal just trying to figure all this stuff out. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Today we're talking all about autism. What is it? How we know if our child may have it? What we can do about it? And how we process it? This is a huge topic, and whether your child has autism or another type of neurological disorder, I know that this episode will be valuable to you. So I'm going to share our story on how Remy was diagnosed and what we've been doing ever since then. So before I get into the information and definitions about autism, I want to give you a little background into our journey so that everything makes sense. Remy is my five-year-old daughter. We have four kids, and Remy is one of two girls. She has a younger sister named Nora and two older brothers named Tyson and Julian. And when Remy was born, she was born perfectly healthy. The labor, the delivery, the pregnancy, everything was healthy about everything. And when she came into this world, she was nothing but the cutest little baby ever. And then when she was nine months old, she had a seizure. We woke up one morning and she had a seizure and it lasted for 45 minutes. And with a lot of different drugs and with many, many hands on Remy, they finally were able to stop it by giving her a paralytic and intubating her, giving her a really strong drug that finally got the seizure to stop. So after that, She had uh, between four and six more seizures in the next several days, and all of the seizures that she had were like that. They had a hard time getting rid of the seizure. They didn't know why. She didn't have a fever. Everyone kept asking, what's her fever? What's her temperature? And she didn't have one. So it wasn't because of illness. It wasn't because of any of that. So we didn't know what was going on with her. So fast forward a few months and a lot of drama, and we finally got a diagnosis. You can hear the full story in one of the first few episodes of getting a diagnosis and all of that. 
So she got a diagnosis of a rare genetic disorder called PCDH19. And that just is the name of a gene that in Remy is either mutated or it's missing. It's a gene that's responsible for some neurological stuff that happens. I don't know exactly how it's supposed to function, but because it's mutated or missing in Remy, it causes her to have clustered seizures. So she has clustered seizures. It's medication resistant. She loses oxygen when she has seizures. And then it also comes with a very high likelihood of having some other kinds of neurological issues. And in Remy's case, she has autism. So there's a lot of other kiddos that have PCDH19. The very commonality of all of them is that they have these clustered seizures. And there's a very high percentage of them that also have autism. But then there's some that don't. But most of the kids have things going on with them that are problematic. So I just wanted to give you that little background just in case this is your first episode. I'm really excited to talk about autism. I've been excited to talk about this since I started the podcast, and it's why I started the podcast. I think that there's so many people that are dealing with their kids having autism. And when you look at society and you look at our culture, nobody really knows what to do with kids that have autism. Everyone says it's an epidemic. More and more people are getting diagnosed. There's a lot of discussion on how that's happened. And whatever the reason or whatever the topics that people are talking about regarding autism, when you're a mother of a child who has autism, none of that really matters because all you want to do is know how to raise your child. All you want to know is that your child is going to grow up and be okay. All you want to know is that one day you might be able to communicate with him or her. So for us, for the parents of kids with autism, I think the biggest tool that we can have is knowledge and learning. And if we can educate ourselves and we can learn as much as possible, our kids have the best chance of thriving as they get older. One of the things that I think a lot of parents fear when they get a diagnosis is they think, well, what is my child going to be like when they're an adult? You know, is my kid ever going to get married? Will they ever have a job? Will they ever live on their own? Am I going to have to take care of them their whole life? Will they ever make friends? So all these fears are valid. We all have them. But we forget to concentrate on what do we do right now? And you can't solve all the problems, but you can work on learning how to communicate with your child with autism right now. So that is my goal in talking about autism. I feel like us parents, we need all the tools that we can get. We need support from our families and friends. We need support from each other. We need knowledge so that we can help our kids and that we can advocate for our kids. And we need to learn how to get over it. We need to learn how to get over the fact that our kids are different Life is going to be different for them. And when we can do that, then we can really begin to teach our kids 
and work with them and see how many special qualities they have and see just how autism fits into the big picture. So I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to tell you our journey with Remy getting an autism diagnosis. And then I'm going to just give some information about autism. So when Remy was a baby, she got diagnosed with PCDH19 when she was a little over the age of one. And between the age of one and two, she spent a lot of time in the hospital. She was having seizures that were so bad that she needed an IV drip of some pretty heavy-duty drugs to control her seizures. So we spent a lot of time in the hospital with her. We were learning how to do CPR and how to do mouth-to-mouth because every time that Remy would have a seizure, she would stop breathing. So we always were having to give her mouth-to-mouth. We were learning about what PCDH19 meant. We were learning about how to take care of her. We were learning all that. We spent a lot of time in the hospital uh, trying to control these seizures. So we spent a lot of time researching and talking to doctors and nurses. And one of the things that I learned is that a lot of these kiddos have autism. I looked at Remy and I thought, well, there's no way she has autism because she's just so happy and she's so social. But I really didn't know anything about autism, like anything. I didn't know because I didn't care. I never researched or I didn't know anyone who had autism. None of my friends' kids had autism. I knew that it was a hot topic, especially about vaccinations. I knew that people had a lot of controversy around that. And I knew all this. I heard all the talk, but I was never directly impacted by it. So I never paid attention to the conversations. I never really learned anything about it just because I didn't really care. I didn't know. So when we were in the hospital, knowing that she had a higher chance of having autism, I just started asking everybody, hey, do you think Remy has autism? Do you think she has autism? What do you think? Do you think she has autism? I asked everyone. I asked all the nurses, all the doctors, all the respiratory therapists, all the people that came in and out of the room. And every single one of them said, no way. She doesn't have autism. There's no way because she's very engaging and very social and she's super playful. And Remy always had these quirks and I knew that, but that's all I knew. So we get out of the hospital. We take her to the pediatrician. The pediatrician's asking us all the questions like, is she walking? Is she able to eat with a fork? Is she able to drink from a cup? All the different things to make sure that her milestones were on track. And one of the things was, how many words does she say? And at this time, Remy was about 18 months old. And I said, she doesn't say any words. She made sounds, but she didn't say any words. And the doctor said, okay, she should be saying words by now. And I didn't have anyone else to compare her to. It wasn't like I had another 18-month-old. I had two boys previously, but I, I don't remember exactly how much they were talking at the age of 18 months. And I also knew that she spent a lot of time in the hospital and that she was on all these seizure drugs and that she had epilepsy. So it didn't alarm me too much because there's plenty of people in this world who develop speech late. There's tons of them and they end up 
completely fine. So I thought, okay, she has a speech delay. And right around then, we sought out and got some early intervention. Man, I'm taking it way back. I didn't plan on saying all this, but it's actually kind of important to the topic. So we got an early intervention because Remy had a speech delay and because she also had PCDH19. So she met two of the criteria. She had a diagnosis of something and she also had a speech delay. So she was able to get it. There was no problems. But before we could start, Remy kept going to the hospital. So we had to wait on starting her in that, in the early intervention. So right around the age of two, Remy got early intervention. And so we had a speech therapist that came over once every other week and a special education teacher that came over on the alternating weeks. So we had someone coming over to work one-on-one with Remy and to teach me how to work with Remy. So we had them come over every week. And at first, I thought that they were just coming because Remy had a speech delay and they were going to teach me how to get Remy to talk. And they worked with her. They worked with me. It was fun. Remy always loved when they'd come over. But as she started to get a little older, I noticed that she wasn't picking up speech at all. She had her little quirks. There were just things that were presenting themselves a little more than they were when she was younger. And I had always wondered about autism, but I never was really that worried because she just seemed so normal. You know, I hate using that word, but that's how I felt. I even asked the speech therapist and the special education teacher, do you think that she has autism? And they'd always say, I don't know, I don't know. And then then I'd forget about it and move on. But as she started getting older, she was about two and a half. I started noticing more that she just had a lot of quirks. And so I asked them again. I asked the speech therapist and the special education teacher again, do you think that she has autism? And they said, I I don't know. And it was kind of surprising to hear that because everyone else that we had talked to said, oh, no, no, absolutely not. She doesn't have autism. But if anyone would know if she had autism, it would be people that work with kids that have autism. And so they were the first people that said, I don't know. I don't know. And then one day, the special education teacher said, do you want to find out? Do you want to have her tested? And I said, um, okay, yeah, let's let's get her tested. And I was kind of surprised that I hadn't even thought of that before. I was always wondering, does she have autism? Why didn't I just think, let's get her tested, then we'll know. I guess I was trying to diagnose her by myself or try to figure it out myself. Or maybe I was just scared of the answer and it just never came to my mind. But when she said that, when she said, that I could get her tested and I told her, yeah, then it kind of became real. And everything happened really fast. They were able to get an appointment with the psychologist and it was for two weeks from the time that we had originally talked about it. So in those two weeks, I studied like crazy. I went to every website I could find 
I learned what autism was. I took the tests online. I did all the stuff. I was trying to diagnose her before. I wanted to be prepared when I went into the test. I couldn't wait. It was driving me crazy. And so I started to read things about autism and I wanted to see if they were true for Remy. So I read some of the qualities of kids that have autism. And some of the things that I read said kids with autism line up their cars or they won't give you eye contact. It said things like, do they flap their hands? And Remy didn't do any of that. She didn't line up her cars. She didn't flap her hands. And she did give people eye contact. So that confused me. It confused me because she didn't do any of those things. And then another thing that I read was that kids with autism are in their own world. And you can try calling their name from across the room. And if they don't turn and look at you, that's one of the signs. And so I thought, okay, I'm sure she'll look at me. So I tried it out like a ton of times. I would stand on the other side of the room and I would say, Remy, Remy. And she'd be playing with her toys and she wouldn't look. And I would go to another part of the room. Remy, Remy. I did this for a couple days, just all throughout the day. And the conclusion was that Remy looked at me sometimes. And then I just thought, well, she's just not looking at me because she's really interested in what she's playing with, which was true, but she wasn't consistent because sometimes she would look at me and sometimes she wouldn't. But it wasn't a hearing issue because she was really attracted to the microwave or the doorbell or the door or if there was a faint sound coming from upstairs like Zach's razor or something like that, the blender she would turn every time. And so I knew it wasn't a hearing issue. And I just figured that she just wasn't interested in giving me her attention. So it was driving me crazy. These two weeks were really hard. Another thing that I read about kids with autism is that they have a hard time make-believing and doing pretend play. So I tested that as well. I thought, you know, does she play princesses? And does she you know, play these little role-playing games. And she, she wasn't really interested in that. But one day I look over and she had this little barnyard and it had a bunch of these little figures like cows and horses and pigs and sheep and all of that. And I was looking over at her and she was playing with the animals in the barnyard. And she was like all into it. And I got so excited because she's make-believe playing. And so if she can make believe play, she cannot have autism. So I was really excited when the speech therapist came over and we were going to talk about the test coming up and all that. When she came in and I was so excited, I said, hey, you have to see something. She can make believe play. And so I get out the barnyard and I get out the animals and I give them to Remy. I was showing the speech therapist how she could pretend play and Remy starts playing with them. And the speech therapist said, okay, I, I see that. And I said, so she doesn't have autism, right? And then she said, well, I see that she's playing with the animals, but is the horse eating grass or is the cow mooing or is the sheep 
making friends with the owl. And when she was asking those questions, I look over at Remy and I just said, no, she doesn't do any of that. She just lines them up in the barnyard. So here I was thinking that Remy was make-believe playing because she had these animals in the barnyard. But what she was doing is she was just lining up the animals in the barnyard. So where I thought, no, she doesn't line up her cars. Well, she didn't have any cars, you know, Hot Wheels. But she had barnyard animals. So at that point, I kind of had my answer. I knew that Remy probably had autism. That was a tough moment. I was a tough day. You know, I still felt nervous going into the test, but I kind of had my answer. I just wanted to get it over with and see what the psychologist had to say. So we went to the test. Zach and I sat down with the psychologist and Remy, and we started filling out a bunch of paperwork, and then the psychologist worked with Remy. And the test, I believe it took about two hours or two and a half hours. But before I get into that, I just want to say that when I was asking everybody if they thought that Remy had autism, I didn't know anything about autism, but it wouldn't leave my mind. That feeling of does she have autism, it kept tugging at me. And even though everyone kept telling me no way she doesn't have autism, that feeling never went away. It was like the answers weren't satisfying me. I'm like, oh, okay, she doesn't have autism. But then why do I keep thinking? Why do I keep asking this question? So I just want to tell you, if you are listening to this and your child doesn't have a diagnosis, but you have that same feeling, that's your intuition. And your intuition never steers you wrong. So if something's tugging at you and you can explain everything away, you can say, yeah, my kid does this, but I know that there are these warning signs, but if you're kind of justifying every odd behavior or you're not listening to that feeling inside of you, then you could be doing your child a huge disservice. But following that feeling, just go find out. If you have that feeling, go find out if your child has autism. If they don't, then you can relax and move on with your life and you'll have your answer. But if you have that feeling and you get them tested and they do have autism, now you can really let that soak in and move on with your life. I think the fear of finding out is so real and that's what I had. I had a fear of finding out. And that's why I never even considered seeking out getting her tested. Because there was a part of me that was thinking, well, if I never know, then it's not, it's not an issue. And I don't have to do anything. If I never go and get a diagnosis, then I can just kind of sweep this under the rug. But that is a really dumb thing to do. I just have to say, especially with autism, because the more you know, the better you can handle it. I believe that there are so many parents and so many people in society that are in denial about their kids having autism that their kids can never thrive because their parents were just too scared of the answer. So 
I was scared to death. And we were also at that time in the mode of just let's figure out the next step because Remy was in the hospital so much and she just had a diagnosis. And we knew that we always had to act quick with her. We couldn't let things slide. So getting a diagnosis, it's like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's do everything we need to do to help our daughter. And so that's why we went. So I just went off on that little tangent. But I just want to remind all of you that it's okay and it's normal if you are feeling scared about your child getting a diagnosis of autism. It's scary. And it's a big deal. I get it. But if you never actually seek out a diagnosis and you have that feeling that just keeps bugging you and you keep stamping it down, well, that feeling will never leave. Your child's behaviors will get worse and you won't know how to deal with them. Okay, I'm getting back to the topic here. So we take Remy to the doctor. We're getting the diagnosis. Zach and I are filling out all the paperwork and I'll just tell you a little bit about what our experience was like when we were there. So there was this packet of questions, and I think it probably took about 45 minutes to go through it all, and each section was like a different category, and then it would ask each question, and we had to fill in the bubble with either, no, she never does that behavior, or sometimes she does that behavior, or often, or I don't know. So those were the different answers of the things. And then the questions, they varied, but they were questions like, does your child pick up objects and give them to you? Does your child use sounds or words to get your attention? Does your child show interest in a wide variety of activities? Does your child show emotion by smiling or laughing? So all of these questions were different variations of questions And they were all trying to get a sense of if your kid had autism or not. And if you go to get a diagnosis and you have this packet, I just want to say it's really hard to kind of diagnose while you're answering the questions. Like sometimes you're like, oh, okay, if I answer all yes, then that means they have autism. But the scoring of it is is a little tricky. So I think the psychologist is the one that has to score it because I was trying to figure it out before I gave the packet back and it didn't really work. <laughs> so after the test, the psychologist also asked Remy to do a bunch of different things. And she would stand across the room and call her name and she would see if Remy could finish a sequence of patterns. And she, I mean, there were all different kinds of things. Remy was two and a half. She didn't have any language, so she wasn't able to repeat the psychologist. But out of all that time, the psychologist was definitely able to see Remy's strengths and weaknesses. So she went into her office and she scored up all of the things that we had been tested on. And she came out of the office and she sat down and she said, your daughter has autism. And so I knew that she had autism, but hearing the psychologist say it, it was kind of a kick in the stomach because now there was no going back. So we got the diagnosis and we left the office. And the interesting thing is that she gave us some pamphlet. I don't even know what it said. (laughs) I don't remember what it was. And that's it. 
I was thinking, okay, so what do we do now? Okay, she has a diagnosis. Now what? And what I would soon realize is there really is no now what. You get a diagnosis and that's kind of it. The rest of it, you got to figure out on your own. And that I have to say for any of you guys who are going through that right now where your child has a diagnosis, there is no person that's going to say, oh, okay, so now go do this, this and this. Like sometimes you might have guidance and maybe you have programs in your area, but it's totally up to you to find those things. So after that test, Zach and I took Remy out to dinner and we just kind of talked about everything and we were kind of quiet. I mean, it wasn't this big emotional time. I think that we were both trying to process the information. But for me, I just felt a little like, you know, Remy's been through so much and now she has autism. And what does this mean for her life? Like, not only does she have seizures, but she also has autism I don't know, like, will she ever talk? Will she ever be able to communicate? And, you know, all those questions come to your mind. But we just had been through so much with all the hospital stays. It was kind of like, well, of course, this let's, let's just add autism on the list of all the things that we're going through. So I remember asking Zach when we were at dinner, I said, so what are you thinking? And he's like, about what? And I said, well, about the diagnosis, like what it, what is going through your head right now? And he said, well, I don't care what the diagnosis says. I don't care what psychologist looks at Remy and tells us what they tell us. I don't care. You can give her a diagnosis or not. Remy's our daughter and our job as Remy's parents is to love her and take care of her. And that's what we're going to do. So with a diagnosis, without a diagnosis, you can do whatever, you can say whatever you want about her. She's our daughter and our job is just to love her and that's what we're going to do. That's pretty much what he said. And that really stuck with me because he's right. What else do we have to worry about? I knew that we were good parents to Remy and that we would do whatever we needed to do But there is a part of you that just feels like, am I equipped for this? Am I going to know what to do? Am I going to know how to handle it? I was so used to being a mom of two neurotypical boys that I didn't know how to be a mom of a person with autism. I didn't know what her life was going to be like, or maybe I would have to homeschool her. Well, I already kind of figured that I would because I wasn't going to let her go to school having seizures. So. That's totally a different topic for another day, but I just wanted to give you our little story. So that is a story about how Remy got diagnosed with autism. And now I wanted to go into some information. If you are in the season right now where you're just trying to get information because maybe your child has autism and you don't really know what to do or you're anticipating getting a diagnosis or getting a test or you don't know what to do or you're scared, you're nervous, whatever it is, maybe you have a family member and they're showing all kinds of signs of having autism and you just want to know. Well, I remember being in that situation and all I did was Google everything. And there's so many things online when you Google autism. 
You've got Autism Speaks and the whole plethora of information there. And then you've got blogs and websites. You've got controversy. You've got the worst, the best cases. I remember searching, how do you cure autism? I mean, that was one of the one of the topics that I would research. So what I wanted to say that is helpful is there is this test, and you can really find it anywhere online, but it's called an MCHAT. MCHAT stands for Modified Checklist for Autism in Toddlers, comma, revised. So I say revised because the revised version is the is the newer version. So if you're looking for it online, that's the one that you want to look for. But it's basically MCHAT. And what this test is, like I said, you can find it anywhere. And I'm going to have a link to this on the show notes. So go to jodywarshawski.com forward slash 010 for the show notes. And then I'll have the links in there from this episode and anything else that you want to know. So I'll have a link in here and you can follow the link and take the MCHAT test. So basically what it is, is it's like a list. I don't know how many questions. There's 20 or 30 questions. And it's just kind of like you just click, do they do this? Yes, no, you know, whatever it is. At the end of the test, they give you a score. And it's like if you get a score of seven, then there's high likely chance that your child has autism. I don't really know what the score is. I'm just saying that as an example. So if you have a high score, then there's a likely chance that your child has autism. And all that means is it's a good idea for you to check it out. This thing is not going to diagnose your child, but it just kind of gives you a clue if it's something that you should be concerned about. If it's a low score, then it basically is saying like, no, your child doesn't have autism, not even necessary for you to go check it out. So if your child scores like in the middle or high, just go get them checked out and figure it out. That's really helpful. I think I took that test like eight times. It always came back where Remy scored high. And I tried to just be like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, that's true too sometimes, but it's a good place to start. So I want to give a little information about autism. This, I think, is helpful because We hear the word a lot, but do we even really know what it means? I'm going to read a few definitions. And like I said, all of the information is on the show notes. And you can find that at jodywarshawski.com forward slash 010. So autism or autism spectrum disorder refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech and nonverbal communication. So autism is a spectrum disorder. The reason why I say that is because when you hear the word autism, you might have a picture in your head and there's a very famous or common thing that people say. If you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, which basically means nothing. It just means that everyone who has autism is different. Everyone has different strengths, different weaknesses. And when you stick two people next to each other that have autism, they can be completely different from each other. One person might not be able to talk. They might have to wear a helmet because there's so much self-injury. 
And then the person next to them could be a doctor, lawyer, professor, could be Albert Einstein. So intelligence and a lot of different factors don't make autism autism. So I just want to say that because for me, I was just like, well, Remy doesn't do this and Remy doesn't do this. So she must not have autism. But it's like she doesn't line up her cars, but she stacked up her blocks all the time. And so, I mean, that's pretty much the same thing. So all I'm saying is that the characteristics of autism come out in different ways in everyone. So kind of to break it down a little more about autism, social communication challenges. So it says children and adults with autism have difficulty with verbal and nonverbal communication. For example, they may not understand or appropriately use spoken language. Around a third of people with autism are nonverbal. Gestures, eye contact, facial expressions, tone of voice, or expressions not meant to be taken literally. So that's some of the social communication challenges. Additional social challenges can include difficulty with recognizing emotions and intentions in others, recognizing one's own emotions, expressing emotions, seeking emotional comfort from others, feeling overwhelmed in social situations, taking turns in conversation, engaging personal space. So a little side note, Remy has all of those difficulties. She definitely doesn't show her emotions. She doesn't express them appropriately. She doesn't take turns in a conversation. I mean, she doesn't talk, but I mean, it's always her turn in her world. And she does not gauge anyone's personal space. She'll get in your face, in your space, in your bubble, whatever it is. She has no problem with that. So another thing about autism that makes it autism is the restrictive and repetitive behaviors. So restricted and repetitive behaviors vary greatly across the autism spectrum. They can include repetitive body movements, as in like rocking, flapping, spinning, running back and forth. Repetitive motions with objects like spinning wheels, shaking sticks, uh, flipping levers, staring at lights or spinning objects, ritualistic behaviors like lining up cars or repeatedly touching objects in a set order, narrow or extreme interests in specific topics. So topics like you would think someone likes to learn about animals. So that would be like an interest that someone might have. So someone with autism might be obsessed with animals. So that's like what that means. A need for unvarying routine and a resistance to change. So when Remy was little, we heard this about the routine and we were thinking, no, we can change the routine like she doesn't always have to eat before she plays. You know, we can switch it up. We can leave the house before we have breakfast. I don't know. It was just like we could change the routine and Remy was fine. But then when we started kind of digging in a little deeper, it was things like every time she brushed her teeth, she would have to hold the toothbrush in a certain way. Or every time she would drink her juice, she would do it in a certain way. 
And then we realize, okay, those are the routines. She was very rigid in the way that she did things. And so it doesn't have to be your morning routine, but just the way that someone does something, how they do it, if they're very, very rigid, that's just part of autism. So now I want to talk about the three common types of autism. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because it really makes it easy for us to understand. And they actually took out the different types of autism and they stuck it all in one spectrum. So now it's called autism spectrum disorder, but it used to have different names and it helps me understand that a little better. And so the organization who is responsible for changing that is the DSM. And I'll talk about that. And then I'll talk about the different kinds of autism. So the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, is the handbook used by healthcare professionals in the United States and much of the world as the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders. DSM contains descriptions, symptoms, and other criteria for diagnosing mental disorders. It provides a common language for clinicians to communicate about their patients and establishes consistent and reliable diagnoses that can be used in the research of mental disorders. It also provides a common language for researchers to study the criteria for potential future revisions and to aid in the development of medications and other interventions. So that's basically what the DSM is. So now that we've established that, now I want to go into the three types of autism, which the DSM doesn't recognize, but I still think they're important. So the first one is autistic disorder, and that's what is known as classic autism. This is what most people think of when hearing the word autism. People with autistic disorder usually have significant language delays, social and communication challenges, and unusual behaviors and interests. Many people with autistic disorders also have intellectual disabilities. So this is Remy. That's classic Remy. She has autistic disorder. So then there's Asperger syndrome. You may have heard of that. So people with Asperger syndrome usually have some milder symptoms of autistic disorder. They might have social challenges and unusual behaviors and interests. However, they typically do not have a problem with language or intellectual disability. I believe that hardly anybody knows that they have Asperger syndrome. I think there's a very small percentage of people that even know that they have it. I think there's so many people living life never realizing that they have a form of autism. And the reason is because people with Asperger's, they're typically really smart. And when you think of autism, you think of someone that has a low IQ and, you know, they're not able to function on their own. Well, people with Asperger's are able to function on their own quite well, but they might be a little odd or they might have a hard time communicating or understanding social cues. So there's so much to learn about Asperger's. I think that people with Asperger's are really here to change the world and they have an insight to humanity that other people just don't have. 
But one thing I have to say about Asperger's is that just because the people that have Asperger's are extremely intelligent, it doesn't mean that they don't struggle. They struggle greatly and we need to really nurture people with Asperger's because they struggle. Anyway, going off on a little tangent, then there's pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, or PDDNOS, also called atypical autism. So people who meet some of the criteria for autistic disorder or Asperger syndrome, but not all, may be diagnosed with PDDNOS. People with PDDNOS usually have fewer and milder symptoms than those with autistic disorder. The symptoms might cause only social and communication challenges. So I just wanted to mention all of that because I think that we throw the word autism around so much, but I don't even think that a lot of people even know what it means. So I just wanted to say that. But everything that I'm saying, like I said before, you can find in the show notes and you can um, find the sources of my information too. I'll put all the links. But if you want to get your child diagnosed, if you want to get a test for your child, just out of experience, I just would say, call your insurance company. Man, I'm going to tell you, I spent a lot of time on the phone and asking people and school districts are not going to give your kid a diagnosis. You can try the school district. You're going to probably hit a brick wall. You can go to your pediatrician and you can tell them that you want to get a test, but the likelihood that your pediatrician is really going to even know what to tell you is very slim. You can try tons of different things. You can go online, you can research or whatever, but it's actually very frustrating. Anyone who's tried to figure out how to get a diagnosis for their kid, they know that it's not easy. So what is easy is to call your insurance company and say, I think my child has autism. How do I get him tested? That's it. And then they'll say, okay, here's a list of psychologists that can do the test. Give them a call, make an appointment, and then go from there. I mean, of course, there's other stuff that goes on, but just call your insurance company and figure it out. Um, we went through Alta Regional Center. You can go through your regional center. It takes a bit more time. They've got one in every state. And we were already dialed in with the regional center because Remy was getting speech therapy. So they handled everything. Alta paid for the diagnosis and the test. They scheduled the appointment. They did all of that. But if you are not dialed in with a regional center, then just call your insurance company and take it from there. I also want to tell you that, you know what, don't stress too much. Just take this one step at a time. It's very overwhelming and I and I totally understand it. And I'm able to talk to you on the other side. We've been through this. Remy got a diagnosis. She's good. Yes, she needs a lot of work. But Zach and I have gotten trained on how to work with her she has ABA therapy five days a week. She has a nanny who knows how to work with autism. Her teacher at school knows how to work with autism. She also has a nurse who's working with her. 
So just about everyone in her life understands autism. They understand Remy. She's in a a good situation. But all of those things we had to build. And one of the things that you hear so much when you're going through this process is that if you don't get your kid treatment when they're really little, they have no chance of any sort of life. And I just want to tell you, when you read that, it scares you and it makes you panic because you get a diagnosis of autism and all you want to do is start treatment. You want to put things in place as fast as you can and you feel like you're under the clock. And I don't know that that ever goes away. And I felt like that for a couple of years after Remy was diagnosed. I felt like, okay, we got to get her into treatment. We got to fix it. We got to like work with it. And I realized that things take a long time to go through. And so you think, well, what do I do while I'm waiting? Well, I'm waiting for approval and insurance, or I'm waiting for this program to open up or spots to open up with this wait list. And it can be really stressful. So you do hit a lot of brick walls when you're trying to get treatment for your kid. And it can be really just frustrating. And you're trying to process through the diagnosis and what that means. And you're also trying to get your kid the help that they need. So it can be a lot. So I just want to tell you, just relax. It'll be okay. If you are even asking the question, does my child have autism? You are 100 miles further ahead of most people. Most people can stay in the denial phase for so long. They miss their window on really making a difference in their child's development. So I'll tell you a little story about what we did after Remy was diagnosed. Sorry that this is long, but this is very important. This episode is important because this is the very first one of many more episodes. And I want to lay the foundation. I want to explain our experience because then you'll really understand what we're going to be talking about in the future episodes. So when Remy got a diagnosis, I spoke with her speech therapist and her special education teacher. And I said, yeah, she has a diagnosis of autism. And the loving people that they are, all they wanted to do was help. And so they had recently, I think it was like within the last month or two before Remy got her diagnosis, they had taken this training at the Mind Institute in Sacramento. And uh, a special education teacher said, hey, I just want you to know we took this training on how to work with kids with autism. It is like amazing. And they offer a parent training. And you and Zach should go to this parent training. And so I was like, okay, yeah, surely we'll go. We'll do whatever. I don't care. And so she like hooked us up with this training I didn't know anything about it, but I thought, you know what? If someone's going to train us on how to work with our kid, let's do it. There's like no downside to that. So we got connected with a psychologist that was doing this training. We didn't know anything about it. And then we started and it was quick. It was like we got a diagnosis. And then within a month, we were in this 12-week intensive training. So this is what it was like. Every single week for 12 weeks, Zach and I would go to a parent meeting and there was four families total. So 
every week for two hours a week, we would go to this parent meeting and the psychologist would train us on that topic, the topic of the week. And then we would go home and we would work on it with our kids, like whatever the topic was. So that was once a week we did that. And there was also another time each week that the four families, we would bring our kids to the place where we were doing the training. It was like a classroom. It was like um, had all kinds of toys in it and stuff. So we would go with our kids and then they would coach us while we played with our kids. So Zach and I would bring Remy every week and we would whatever she was interested in, we would play with her. And then they would coach us as we were playing with her to show us like, okay, no, you got to like play with her like this and this, this helps with communication and this helps with, you know, this, that, and the other. So we did that for 12 weeks. It was the most amazing 12 weeks I could ever have experienced. While we were processing the fact that our child has autism and while the other families were processing the same thing, we were able to take actionable steps on working with our kids on our own. And at the same time, we were trying to get ABA services, Applied Behavior Analysis is what that stands for. It's a very common therapy that a lot of kids have with autism. So we were working on that. But in the meantime, we were doing this 12-week training And it was so life-changing. I remember sitting in the parent groups and I would look around at the other three families and think, how come there's only four families in this room? There should be thousands. I think everyone whose child has a diagnosis of autism needs this training. And I kept thinking about that. Over and over, because the information was so valuable. So to be honest, that training helped us so much that that has been on the forefront of my mind ever since we left the training. And that has been one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, because I wanted to share the things that we learned in this training Because I think that every parent should know how to work with their kids with autism. You need to know the tools. You need to know what to do when you're giving them a bath or making them dinner or playing with them or reading a book or going grocery shopping or taking them in the car or just functioning as you normally function. How do you communicate with your child? How do you work with them? It doesn't take away any time in your day. If you know how to communicate with your child with autism, it's not like you have to set aside four hours to work with them. And so that's what this training does. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because for the next six to 10 episodes, I'm going to be going through the book that we went through in the training. And it's called An Early Start for Your Child with Autism. And this book, it explains how Early Start Denver model is used and it's a parent training book and they do therapy they do the ESDM therapy for kids but it's not everywhere and this book tells you how to work with your kids so you don't have to send them to some sort of program I mean it helps you 
work with your kid with or without a program. So you can still do ABA, you can still do whatever other therapy you want, but in the off time that your child isn't doing therapy, which is most of the time, it trains you how to work with them. So each week I'm gonna be going through a chapter. So go and get the book, go to Amazon. It's called An Early Start for Your Child with Autism. It's written by Sally Rogers. She's the one that came up with the book. There's a couple other authors as well. And you can find the link in the show notes. I have a Kindle version and I also have a paperback version. So if you have a child between the age of one and I think the book says one and four, but to be honest, I'm going to say between one and seven. If you have a child that you think has autism or you know they have autism or they just have any kind of neurological disorder. It doesn't even have to be just for autism. I promise you it's for any kid, any kid that is struggling developmentally. This is an amazing training. And so I'm going to be going through it week by week, starting next week. So if you can get the book before next week, that would be great. Or you can get it anytime and um, we'll be going through it. So yeah, thank you for listening to my story about autism. And I can't wait to dive into the training next week. So thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Say thank you for listening. Mm. Say thank you. Thank you. Bye.